You're listening to Get Informed America, the only true unfiltered show that's fighting fake news and finding common ground. Now, here's your hosts, Dave Oakenquist and Rodney Johnson. Hello and welcome to Get Informed America, the show that breaks through the mainstream media box to bring you real smart news. Hi, I'm Dave Oakenquist. Joining me is the smartest man I know, and I'd usually say the a very well-dressed man, but it looks like you're wearing almost the same shirt as I am, so maybe you got knocked down. I'm slumming it these days. <laughs> and of course, Mr. Rodney Johnson. Rodney, how are you? And I noticed that we're both sporting our COVID cut. You know, yeah. we, we, we are doing the clipper at home thing with our respective spouses. Oh, you know, it's it's funny because we mentioned before we get started, we've, we've been talking a little bit here and there about things that will change uh, when, when getting back yeah. to normal. And I wonder, you know, are, are barbers wondering like, well, certainly, you know, it can be improved. But I wonder, I don't know, people just skip the haircut now and have, make the wife do it. Is that being I'm right book? there. I, I told my wife she's hired. Right. I mean, <laughs> my, my cut was easy. It was 20 bucks, you know, every three, four weeks. Yeah. And, I, I bought the clipper set for 60, 80 bucks, whatever the heck it is. And I figure three cuts in, I've recouped, and everything after that is gravy. So, interesting. Yeah. We're doing I, it. I, <laughs> well, good. Good on. Well, she, I don't know if she enjoys being assigned that task or not, but uh, <laughs> she says she's okay with it. I'm not quite there. I, I just I had her use the beard trimmer, so we haven't quite graduated to the, to the regular clippers. Oh, yet. you definitely need to step up. But. <laughs> But I was actually thinking of that just to keep going here for just a second. The next time I see my barber, I mean, I, I think I got to pay him double. You know, I think that's only fair because I've missed a haircut. I don't know what he's doing. If he's, I, I assume, unless you're maybe licensed to go into someone's house or something like that, he uh, he's just out of work for as long as this is and as long as that as long as the barbershop is closed. Assume that many are doing the home haircut thing with their better clients, which means that you didn't get a call, so you should take something from that. <laughs> Not one of the better clients. <laughs> Maybe I got to rethink that double payment thing. All right, Rodney, that's enough about haircuts. Let's get let's get to the uh, the topics of the day and the stuff that's been going on in the week. Topic number one: Congress passes nearly five hundred billion in additional relief, and then we're moving on to America slowly opens its doors. Is it too soon? We'll discuss the ins and outs of that. And there's also a statement by the U.S. Attorney General Barr that he may go after states with strict lockdown orders. That's been a that's been a contentious one, Rodney, because uh, people are getting really ticked off about what they consider to be excessive orders by their state governor. And even you can't even go out there and tell them you're unhappy about it because you can get arrested. Not Absolutely not. Protest. Yep. yep. Uh, and then we're going to move on to America gives their opinion. I got some new polling data, and then our stupid things I saw in the news. There's no shortage of that. So that that's uh, that will round out our day. So, Ronnie, let's start with what the House passed yesterday. This 484 billion dollar package. Uh, breaking this down for all those keeping score at home. I'm not sure if this is even going to total. Maybe it's. <laughs> <laughs> it does not total to the final tally due to rounding. I'll just say that uh, 320 to uh, replenish the payment protection program, 60 billion to the Small Business Administration, 75 billion for hospitals, and 25 billion, Rodney, going to coronavirus testing. Now, before I hand it off to you, Rodney, we'd heard about how this this PPP, the payment protection program, had exhausted itself, and small businesses were unable to get that that needed cash. However, there was those reports that some of these large corporations were taking advantage or, or not taking advantage, but they were just through the, the language of the bill, were able to get access to this cash as well. So I'm a little, yep. I'm feeling a little conflicted. I think when we talked last week, I said, you know, 
pass this thing. Let's go. Let's, let's put that money back. But if it's not going to the target, or at least the intended target, that did give me pause. What, what did you make of all that? And then this thing passed that passed yesterday. Yeah, I think it's the same thing with most big government programs that it's got a bunch of messy pieces to it. You might like the the general flow of it, but there's going to be some nastiness on the edges. Mm -hmm. And seeing large companies like Ruth Chris and other, you know, large entities be able to take advantage of the Steak Shack, right? People are, are rightfully going, hey, wait a second. You don't exactly look like a small business. You look like a multi-billion dollar corporation. Yeah. Um, there, there are some other ugly pieces to this. Um, the, the largest, the biggest to me is that it worked the way you would think. The money flows through banks, doesn't flow from the government. And so banks have to work with you for on the loan application. Well, who do the banks work with? They work with their best clients. And so if you don't normally have a loan, chances are they wouldn't answer your phone call. And if your loan was small, chances are they wouldn't answer your phone call. If your loan was really big with them, a previous loan from them, I mean, an ongoing relationship, then chances are they called you and worked over the weekend. And so it is out and out favoritism to the largest companies by the largest banks squeezing out everybody else or crowding them out. And that's exactly what happened. And by the way, the second tranche of this, this 320 billion is gone. It's, it's already done. It's already out the door. There are several large banks saying, don't even apply with us because we've, we're already done with this. And so it won't be enough. It will only, not only, but mostly go to those who are the most favored status in the largest banks in America and leave a lot of people out in the cold. So that money was basically already earmarked, you're saying, and forget about it. And we're just going to hear that this is going to be a repeat of everything we heard last week. So that's, I don't think that's but, good. But it, you, it, it stands to reason, right? If you're a bank, who is it that you're going to take loan applications from first? Well, clearly you're going to be on the phone with your biggest banking clients on whom you make a lot of fees over the past right. three years, five years, 30 years. The guy who never takes loans, runs his business, you know, on his own receivables and his own credit card and doesn't include banks because he doesn't like debt. If he calls you up, you're going to say, I really don't know you. Yeah, you got a checking account with six grand in it, but seriously, I got this company over here that runs hundreds of thousands of dollars in receivables or millions of dollars. So it's what you would think. It's a little disappointing. The real small businesses are crowded out. Uh, is there another way to do this? Could no. there be another way to do this? I mean, there's, we, there's, you can do it longer and you can make the amount available bigger. But the, the one thing that is coming out of this, and it hasn't gotten much press, I hope it does is the Federal Reserve, uh, which is the one that's doing the small business thing here um, in, a, in a long distance way. It's hard okay. to talk about. But anyway, the Federal Reserve for the loans that they're going to be helping on is demanding and putting forth transparency. And so they are going to list all businesses that get money from them or backed by them. And so you'll be able to look up and see who actually is getting the cash. And the old saying of sunlight is the best disinfectant, yeah. it definitely uh, makes sense in banking. So transparency, there's a reason Harvard said no to the money. It's because they got called on the carpet. Now they hadn't actually applied, but they were going to get money in this big you know, swath. There's a reason Ruth Chris is giving it back. It's not because they want to, it's because <laughs> they got called on the carpet. And so, yeah, that does make a difference. Uh, Ronnie, the $75 billion for hospitals, that seems like uh, quite a bit of cash. It, um, I haven't heard that hospitals are running short of money though, but I was thinking maybe Absolutely. This is- Hospitals are in a world of hurt. And this are is- they? 
this is the weirdness of this COVID thing. When when the federal government declared the nation a, a national emergency, right? And not a federal disaster area, but it, they declared a national emergency, which is what puts in place all these powers that we'll get to in a few minutes on what governors are doing. But they essentially said, hey, don't do anything that's not related to COVID. So these hospitals around the nation shut down surgery. Some, when they say elective, they don't mean tummy tuck. Elective means you can schedule it. It doesn't have to be immediate emergency, whatever you want to call it. And so if you are having operable brain cancer surgery, operable, then you could schedule it for three weeks from now or six weeks from now. Now, granted, six weeks from now, you're, you got a little bit more progression, but that's not, that is considered elective because you don't have to do it in an emergency setting. And so a lot of surgeries that are really life-saving, although can be scheduled, were put off. And these are the surgeries that are expensive, that pay the bills for hospitals and doctors. It's what they get paid to do. Yeah. And so if your hospital doesn't have a bunch of COVID patients, which by the way, most hospitals in America do not, you're sitting empty not paying the bills, a bunch of empty beds, and a bunch of doctors who aren't making any money. Very interesting. Bit of irony there, yeah. So yeah. let's hope when hospitals do get back to normal that uh, you know lives that could have otherwise been saved in a timely manner aren't, aren't cost too much. In other words, you know, you mentioned that that example there with, with that electric, elective surgery with brain cancer. I mean, that could potentially have saved someone's life in March or April and then, you know, come back to September. Now it's too late. Now it's inoperable. That's, that's scary stuff right there. Well, they, they're, they're opening up uh, hospitals around the nation. I know certainly here in Texas, other states are saying, okay, we're going to start allowing elective surgery, I believe on May 1. And so they're, they're trying to ease this back in, but the pain is there for that five, six weeks that it didn't happen. And you don't recoup the money. It's not like you double schedule for the next, you know, four months to make it up. We don't have that luxury. And so the hospitals definitely need some cash. Is 75 billion the right number? I have no idea, right. uh, but they, they definitely needed some help. Good. Well, let's hope that this money uh, can help uh, all those in need. Ronnie, let's move on to our, our second topic here. America slowly opens its doors. Is it too soon? We're hearing reports of some, some states like Georgia and South Carolina, something you reported on at informedamerica.com. Uh, also, we got a statement from uh, Secretary Treasury Mnuchin who says that the government is operating under the environment that we're going to open up parts of the economy and we're looking forward to by the time we get later into the summer having most, if not all, of the economy open, Rodney. Certainly good news for those 26.5 million people who are out of work and a bit of math there. You may have seen this going around. That's 565 lost jobs for every coronavirus death. Now, I'm not going to pretend to, to tell you what the right ratio is there, but it does tell you uh, how extensive the economic impact has been uh, going along with the health impact. Well, and, and the question on the table, of course, is, is it too soon? And it goes back to where are you, right? And, and what are you going to open and who's going to be there? Um, there's a, a nice piece of research that I actually put on Informed American this morning um, that shows that the number of infections is, of course, wildly higher than uh, anybody had estimated because yeah. we weren't looking at the population, right? And so the mortality rate is actually what the normal flu is, 0.1 to 0.2. But it is very different depending on age and uh, underlying health issues. I want to say that the confirmed fatalities, more than two-thirds are people over 70 and 95% are people over 50. And so if you're 18 to 45, your chances of dying from it 
aren't 0.1, it's 0.01. And if you are less than 18, your chance is almost zero. There have been a couple, but it is so low, it's statistically zero. Mm. And in New York, of the deaths that have been fully investigated, meaning they've done a postmortem and they've really, you know, looked through exactly what was going on with the person, over 99% of the deaths, some the person had an underlying health issue. And so it, it's really a question of when you're opening up, what are people going to do and who are those people, right? If you have an underlying health issue, you probably shouldn't be going to a crowded place. No. If you are over 50, like me, you should think about it. If you're over 70, just don't do it for a while because what we really need, and it sounds silly, but we're getting back to this idea that some of us have been talking about for a long time. We need people to get back together to share this virus in an asymptomatic way for most people who are going to get it and they're not going to notice or it's going to be mild. So that when we do have fully open society again with older population, we're all going to church together, restaurants, whatever, we're not infecting them because we can't. The yeah. longer we stay isolated, what's going to happen is we're going to have this immediate pop in cases right after we get back together. And if we're not trying to separate that at-risk community, it's going to be difficult because we're going to put more lives at risk. Right, because you have the people that have been sick, obviously, and, and have been suffering or, or recovering okay, and then a, a large, a much, much larger group of us who have been essentially staying away from society and have had no exposure. And then once, yeah, to the point, once we start getting, it, it would almost be like restarting again, but, but you know, with, with smaller numbers, hopefully, which is what they call that second wave. Now, Ronnie, let's, let's talk, though, about this, this, this time period, this, Later in the summer, I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming I'll just take him to, I'll just, I'll call it August uh, or something that we might be at what, running 90%. Now, something that you and I talked about before we got started here was, and something I think we hit on maybe a week or two as, as well, is it, for the people who do get sick, there needs to be some kind of a treatment for them. We're, we're still, they told us 18 months for a vaccine, so we're still a ways away uh, on that. But at least some other kind of treatment. They've been trying a lot of different things, experimenting with a lot of different things, but nothing has quite worked. We've heard about this this uh, antiviral remdesivir and then that everyone was kind of very very optimistic on that but then we got some bad news about that over over the last day or so that this isn't going to be the one it's looking like so what do we do without how do we operate without some kind of a treatment because those people still are going to get sick they're going to be either out of work or infecting their families and this whole thing starts dragging on and on again and then we're yelling at each other for for opening up the economy too soon well it the two things in there. First of all, the time frame. Um, I think it's sooner than August because you, you got to look at the economic pressures on this. Mm -hmm. People want their jobs back. And so individuals are saying, hey, I need my job back. I need to pay for my children. I need to pay for my house. I need to yeah. pay for whatever. It's the thing that I've talked about for weeks and weeks now. Somebody has to eat this pain. And the bigger the pain grows, the bigger the chunk you have to eat. And so we're getting there. <laughs> Cities and states are the ones who are going to be beating on this in short order. You can have all the directive you want from somebody in Washington in a health department, but if you are a city on the beach in Florida, your money is made from May through October. Mm -hmm. It just is. And if you tell me I'm not going to make money, then I might as well fire the police, fire all of my health inspectors, fire all of my restaurant workers, fire all of my administrators, fire all the fire, you know, firemen. They're all gone because I have no money. And so it's cities and states that are going to look up and say, you cannot close us down. And what are the biggest spending months we have all year long? So this is you're going to see that pressure for this to open up uh, from a very interesting standpoint. 
on therapeutics, which is what you're talking about, we remdesivir uh, sort of failed, sort of not. Uh, it's an antiviral drug. And so the Chinese were giving it to people in a study uh, that were moderate and severe cases, meaning they were already having the issue where their lungs were filling and they were having what's called a cytokine storm. And mm-hmm. so uh, they stopped it because they didn't have that many people enrolling. Uh, the information came out, they say, inadvertently from the WHO. Gilead came back afterwards and said, wait a second, that's not what this drug does. It has to be given to people sooner in the process when they have mild symptoms and look like they might progress. That's when you really need to be giving them an antiviral drug because it's supposed to stop the virus. What we need are drugs that stop the cytokine storm once this is in your lungs and your own immune system starts sending those cells down to fight it, that's what gunks up the lungs and you feel like you can't breathe and essentially you cannot process oxygen. And so the therapeutics for that, we have a lot of them that are being tested, but it takes weeks of double blind tests with placebo for any of these things to get a stamp of approval and say, okay, yeah, that's it, right? Uh, there's one in particular, it's a small company that I've actually uh, known about and been investing in for many years that does HIV work, and it looks like it might work on COVID-19. But being, you know, invested in this and getting their news reports and everything for weeks and weeks now on this, I've seen the process where they have now been accepted on, uh, you know, an investigative drug basis, and some people have responded very well. And so now they have a trial. Well, the trial is around, I think, 300, 390 people. Well, it's in a number of different hospitals. They have to apply. They have to get people enrolled, and they have to have a primary endpoint of 28-day mortality rate with a secondary endpoint of 14-day mortality rate. All of this means it takes time. Mm-hmm. And they're only a week or two into it. And this is a group that says, hey, we've got something that really shows some promise at doing it. And so I think by the time we get to the end of May, we'll have much more information on therapeutics that work, which will give us the comfort to open the doors so that we can this, get this economy rolling. Mm-hmm. And we'll have comfort that when somebody does get ill, which we're talking about, they will, it doesn't lead to mortality. We can give them a treatment. Well, that's absolutely. Let's hope that happens. That's the thing, right? Once we get a therapeutic, I mean, this thing turns on a dime. Good. Yeah. Now, absent that, the answer to the question, is it too soon, is yes, it, it, it basically will be too soon because I have no money and I have to feed my family. Absent any kind, some effective treatment or vaccine, it means we're just going to have to power through it, right? Because we can't... Well, it's it's the decision uh, making that you have to face. Is it too soon when I'm unemployed and I'm not earning enough money to feed right. my family? No, it can't be soon enough. Right. Is it too soon because I'm retired and I have a paycheck, you know, every month from Social Security like clockwork and got a little bonus as well. And so I'm not worried about the money side, mm-hmm. but I'm really worried about my health. Yeah, that might be too soon for you. And so I, I it's weighing those two things and it comes down to the individual. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Ronnie, one of the other things that's been going on with this, not only are people out of work, not only are they, are they worried about getting sick or getting sick themselves or dealing with a family member that's sick, they're also dealing with a threat to their personal liberties while we're trying to fight this thing. And we've been yeah. seeing these lockdown orders, some of them absolutely absurd. The most, uh, the most clear one, I think, has been in Michigan. That, that's, the, I think, the poster child for government overreach. Right. Uh, and then we saw, as you wrote about, the New Jersey woman who was, who was, arrested for protesting a lockdown order because protesting is in violation of the lockdown order. So you can't protest 
my arrest because we're just going to go in circles here because right. <laughs> it's illegal. And that famous one there in Idaho about the woman getting arrested at the uh, at a closed playground, that one's been going around social media. Now, the, the attorney general weighed in saying that uh, so the stay-at-home orders come, quote, disturbingly close to house arrest. And you know, he's, well, he basically said that most of the social distancing things isn't so bad and to wear a mask in public, that's not a big deal because it reduces the risk of transmission. That shouldn't shouldn't be be a constitutional issue necessarily like they tell you wear a mask out in public you know you can't just flout it necessarily that doesn't seem to be a a big deal but what he does says is uh, some of the quote blunter orders of uh, making you stay home and shutting down the business regardless of the capacity of the business to operate safely so just the blanket orders he said he may review these and go back to the states and say hey you're pushing a little too far what do you think of these statements by the attorney general Rodney? Uh, I, I agree with him in principle. I don't know how it works in practice, right? Uh, the Michigan one is the easiest to talk about because it's the most egregious, um, where she, the governor, you know, Gretchen Whitmer, uh, banned visiting your neighbors. <laughs> now, the people talk about she banned planting a garden. That's not really what happened. What she said was large stores that also have a garden section but might sell essential supplies can't have to rope off the gardening section. You can okay. still go out and garden all you want with stuff you already have. But, but even that, you know, you look at it and go, well, that's kind of weird. You know, we can, we can certainly, you know, beat on that, but I can't go next door and have a cup of coffee with my neighbor when I've been quarantining and my neighbor's been quarantining and we make the joint decision. We're good with it. It's that, that taking away of our personal decision making, I think that crosses in my mind a bright line. Now, the problem is, of course, you can't write laws that are that specific. Mm-hmm. Governors tend to have an ability to restrict movement in times of a national emergency. That's where we are. And so what does that mean, restrict movement? Well, governors are going to say everything I've done has been appropriate. That's why they wrote the order in the first place. Right. And there's always going to be a group of people who say any restriction on my movement is too much. And so I don't know how you legally define the middle. It comes down to, I believe, what will be, all, as always, the reasonable man principle. And I don't think I don't think if I got in a jury in front of a jury of my peers and said, look, you told me I couldn't visit my neighbor. You overstepped your bounds. I think a jury of my peers is going to go, yep, we agree with that. Can you tell me that I can't buy gardening supplies in a large store that also sells <laughs> essential? Maybe. I don't know. That gets weird. The <laughs> protesting thing, I think she wins just on the merits because it's going to be really hard to say that you can infringe a very specific constitutional right as long as i'm trying to do the other things social distancing from people and all that as long as i'm six feet away if i'm holding a sign at the capitol saying i don't like the decisions you're making up there it's going to be really hard for me to see anybody saying no 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 that was okay we can't protest in a time of emergency because that leads to the obvious any president that doesn't like what's going on against him in protest just declares a national emergency and then and we're done stay at home can't protest me Exactly. And so I think that's, uh, that's what we're going to see. Now, as a matter of practicality, I don't imagine that there's going to be any action here because this isn't, these are temporary. It, this, this stuff, some, these, these extreme examples that we're using c- could be gone in, you know, two months or something and, and then, then it's over with. I think maybe the danger there or maybe the, the, the real issue could be did this set a precedent that could be applied later, which uh, could further step on people's rights? Do you, do you think that's a possibility? I mean, do you agree with me probably that there's unlikely to be any legal action here because it'll be just be after the fact right i don't know uh normally legal action has to show harm 
and you know some ongoing harm and so what harm can you show where you weren't um, you know visiting your neighbor and i'm i'm not a legal scholar and so i i wouldn't say that i know that it has to be that um the precedent thing i think i think one of the great things that's going to come out of this entire episode uh is we're going to have a discussion nationally of what was too much. Mm -hmm. Should we have shut down economies like we did, or should we have been much more surgical in saying, let's protect these groups that clearly look like they're more at risk than others? And one of the things will be, did governors go too far? And I think in the next election cycle, I don't know when Whitmer is up for re-election, but I think that will be a big question um, the governor who quickly took away your rights and uh, restricted you from seeing your neighbors. Um, so I think we're going to solve a lot of this at the ballot box as to what people think was appropriate. Yeah, that makes sense to me. In terms of assessing policy to maybe improve later, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> we, were, we, were completely, <laughs> we were completely unprepared here. The next thing that's going to happen isn't going to be exactly what this is. It's going to be something different, and we're going to be equally unprepared and going to make all the wrong decisions. So uh, I'm, just, I'm giving up on that idea. But, uh, but certainly, if you, if, you, if you don't like what your governor did, then vote them out of office. I think that's the best recourse going forward. Well, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a, a pushback on that. One okay. of the reasons that we did what we did is because we were so rich, we felt we could. Mm. And you have to look at this in a, through an historic lens, right? Uh, we are um, so wealthy at the moment, and I don't mean everybody's got a million dollars. I mean that in general, we're all fed, we're all clothed, we all have electricity, that sort of thing, running yeah. water um, in the United States and developed nations, that we felt that we could do this without causing collapse. And we felt that our financial and economic systems were such that we could redirect through our governments um, a flow of value. And I'm, I'm staying away from words like printing money and all that. But if you can just think about it, we can change the flow of value through the government to get us through this while essentially calling a halt to some large portion of economic activity. Yeah. And we're going to find out on the backside if it worked. I think it will, of course, meaning yeah. that we don't, we didn't die. We're going to survive. But I think we're going to have a big question as to whether or not that was the right thing. And I think it's going to come when unemployment doesn't fall below 10% for quite some time. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. So that yeah. absolutely remains to be seen. And how many of these people will get a job? Yeah. That's, that's the scary part. So that's, that's quite a, uh, so you call this basically the, maybe the biggest social experiment ever or something. <laughs> The biggest economic social experiment, I mean, well, and, and I don't want to say ever, um, there were horrible examples. Uh, the, the, the biggest one that we reacted to something, yeah. uh, because I think of social economic experiments like, you know, the great cleansing, you know, and the Khmer oh, Revolution, no, well, no, I meant cultural to, revolution. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go there, but I mean. And they were. Well, I mean, you say you yeah. don't want to go there, but those <laughs> were, right? Those were the failed ones, you know, tens of millions of people dead at the hands of their own government for these social economic experiments. They were just horrible. And so that's the way a lot of them end. And uh, yeah, so this is, this is one in reaction where we're trying to thread the needle. And I don't think we did a good job. Uh, better, you know, not terrible, but yeah. I think we can do better. Crazy stuff. Yeah, absolutely agree. All right, Ronnie, let's move on to America Gives Their Opinion. I have an interesting graphic here that comes from a combination of the, of the, of the Harris Poll and The Hill. Uh, the question here, how concerned are you about each of the following? Exposure to the virus, 83%. Really big number there. This, that's a, I think that's a massive jump from some of the stuff we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and uh, this one's, um, I'm sorry, did you say? 
I said, I think so too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next on the topic of what we were, what we were just at losing freedoms, 74%. So that's something that people are very concerned about and definitely on their mind. Not, not so right to bring that up today. This is not just a, a trivial issue that I think um, some people, I think some people tend to like dismiss this as you're, you're an idiot for going out there and protesting. Why are you being such a moron? But <laughs> turns out 74% of people agree with that idea that they're losing their freedom. That's very important. Right? Your, your personal autonomy and independence uh, is, is very important important to to a large poor portion of Americans, despite that mockery you might see on social media for people expressing that view. Uh, anyway, go to the hospital, 73%. Now, I believe that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I don't want to say it's as bad as exposure to the virus, but in uh, not in terms of a concern, but definitely if you're going to the hospital, that's that's bad, bad news. And in some of that, I, I don't know if you've seen this, Rodney, but it, basically if you get on a ventilator, I mean, almost just kiss it goodbye. Right. The, the ventilator number I've seen, only 30% recover from that. Uh, but there again, you have to look at the population that's going on a ventilator. I have a couple of friends here who had COVID-19 uh, several weeks ago, mm-hmm. and uh, they, they contracted it. They were tested. It was positive. They were in quarantine at home. It's a couple about my yeah. age, so kids are gone. Uh, and he was in the hospital one night with some respiratory issues out the next day back home. She was in the hospital three days later, one night out, gone home. And so most people don't get there. That's the key. But if you do get there, it's a bad, bad sign. Yeah, absolutely. And then on the economic side here, losing a job, 48%. So still a majority, not, not, not concerned about losing their job. And then here's an interesting one, Rodney. It's not a large number, but having to move 35%, something that people are starting to think about. Am I going to have to get out of here uh, ostensibly, I don't know any other reason but to find work. So am I going to have to sell my home, move out of my place just well, to go go out anywhere to get a job? That's that's some crazy anxiety, right? Right. It's it's to find a job or I can no longer afford what I have. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah, I can't afford my house. I got to downsize or whatever because uh, my income is down. That's That's unfortunate. Uh, Rodney, some, uh, this one I believe comes from Rasmussen. Uh, and as, as you said, well, you, you named two people that have, that have been tested and confirmed. I don't know any, but, uh, 40% of American adults say they, they or someone they know in their immediate family has lost their job because of the, uh, of the coronavirus outbreak. Also say the number for those who, who have, who know someone who has been infected is now, uh, uh, 35%. So I'm I actually think that one might, I'm surprised that one does seem high, but I guess if we, even with your, your social networks, um, you, you, you either know someone uh, nearby or something like right. that. I'm curious, two people for you, that, that seems like a lot. You're in the Houston area. I don't know what, what the infections are like there. I don't, I don't personally know anybody. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I, I, that just surprised me. And also the, the number that uh, people out of work, that 40% number, which is up from 32%. Uh, moving on here, uh, there's Rasmussen also asked the question they quoted. This is funny, right? I like to get your 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 thought on this one first before we move on. Uh, they asked, they quoted Senator Chris Murphy, who said, "Quote: The reason that we're in this crisis that we are in today is not because of anything China did. It's not because of anything the World Health Organization did. It's because of what Donald Trump did." Ronnie, do you agree with that statement? I, I. No, I don't. Um, I think there's there's a lot of blame to go around, but I'll tell you, you know, I, I think where it started and we didn't get good information on what was happening with it in China is where it all has to begin, right? They were tell after they had a hundred cases of it, they were still telling people it couldn't be transmitted to humans or between humans. And so I think if you're gonna start placing some blame, you really gotta start at the source. 
Yeah. Now that that tally nationally that agreed with that statement by Senator Murphy is forty two percent. So forty seven disagree and eleven can't decide. <laughs> I love the end. So in other words, we're still just as politically split as we were three months ago. Right. And uh, the the number for Democrats here is like 81% that agree with Senator Murphy. So, I mean, I guess to your point, this, this could have been any quote, really. It's just, you say Trump did it and then we'll get the same number, right? It doesn't really matter. And and, and to that, to that end, right on the other side to say Trump didn't do it or is not responsible or, you know, a positive for Trump is the same 40 something percent. And so (laughs) we're not moving the needle here with experience, data, discussion, opinion. It's been very interesting that those numbers have remained really fixed. Yeah, that's funny because to that point further, is I saw something, um, I believe it was a tweet for someone, and, and, ref- and, and the tweet basically said it was, I don't know, let's pick a, pick a date, sometime in January. Um, stocks at all-time high, no national pandemic, Trump approval rating 46, and then it's like to now. Stocks in the toilet, global pandemic, Trump approval rating, 46%. (laughs) Well, but but I actually wrote this in Informed America um, a couple of weeks ago. His approval rating was up around 51, the highest of his presidency, with a lockdown, stocks in, you know, spiraling lower and the economy on shutdown. His approval rating was higher. And so what that tells me is, and, and it's kind of the thing we all watch, is the swing voters moved his direction as we were going through the gut of this. Now, a lot of people don't care for his rhetoric and the swing voters have shown that, you know, they're not as impressed with it. But during, you know, hey, we got to do something and here are the steps we're taking and these are the officials we're bringing to bear on it. He did get a positive move by the swing voters during that. Yeah, interesting there. And then uh, yeah, that's, that's that's something we've been talking about. Now, as, as that approval rating shifts up or down, uh, something notable, I, I will bring it up. All right, Rodney, let's move on to stupid things I saw on the internet. <laughs> and uh, I want to kick off with, with what I saw yesterday going on on the House floor. This was pure hilarity. I don't know if you saw this, but in Congress, they have each member comes up and gives a statement before, before the vote yesterday. And uh, they all entered the, I think basically every member of Congress entered with a mask on, but then when it comes time to speak, you got to make a decision. And I believe, Almost every member of Congress then took their mask off, uh, and that's really not what you're supposed to do. I know you want to be heard clearly. Now, this one's funny. I want to start. I only just, I just have three here. Um, this this is this is a, this is Maxine Waters. She's just always <laughs> this is an endless well here. But here she is out there talking with with her mask down, and then then a tweet next to her saying, "Don't listen to 45," meaning referring to Trump, uh, when he suggests un, untested hydroxychloroquine. We're still on that to treat COVID nineteen. Listen, Dr. Fauci. Don't listen to 45 when he says heat will kill the virus or he won't wear a mask. <laughs> Highlight it as she is with her mask down. Right. There's another, there's a, there's a congressman. I don't know who he is, if he's Democrat, Republican, but he has the mask on. But it looks like it's basically like pantyhose, but like only around his nose and he has his mouth out. <laughs> I think that's crazy. And then here's one to Nancy Pelosi. She, she's wearing like a, a bandana. She takes it down, wipes her nose, and then wipes the podium and then starts talking. I mean, <laughs> so it was basically one congressman after the other doing that. So, right. Did and you, these are, these are people in the public eye who clearly yeah. don't want to be seen doing something like this. <laughs> just, and, and they know that they're being filmed. Yeah. Just imagine how it is for everyday people, right? You put on a mask, but it's uncomfortable. It's hot. You need to talk to somebody. You're going into a play. It just it's really hard to stay um, in a hygienic state with a mask during the course of your day. 
Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it is, it's more of just hilarious. Not that they're really not that they're in it, but it was just hilarity watching these people trying to function in this new environment and they're all of them failing in their own way. So I found that pretty hilarious. Right. I don't know if you saw, there was a story in the New York times that essentially blamed Sean Hannity for the death of a man for quote unquote, following his advice or something like that. Do you happen to catch that story? I did not. So what did Sean do to this poor man? Well, what it, they basically took some of his statements about what he was thinking was going on with the virus at, at some point in, uh, I believe, February, late February. And, and a man sometime later went on a cruise, I guess, because Hannity told him everything was going to be okay. He got the virus and he died. And the New York Times thought it was a good, this, this was our chance to, to blame Hannity for his death. Right. Uh, but interesting here, the, the author... Here's a, I got, cause since now that see, since everyone interacts on the internet so much, people just screen cap all these things. So here it is a, uh, here's a, someone from, uh, Jonathan Chase is a sad, loving, uh, portrait of a man killed by Fox News. Uh, and then referring to the author, uh, uh, Gianna Belafonte, who had a later tweet on, <laughs> who back in February said, I fundamentally don't understand the panic. Now, this is the author of the piece who accused Sean Hannity of killing a man, <laughs> essentially. I fundamentally don't understand the panic. Incidence of the disease is declining in China. Virus is not deadly in vast majority of cases. Production uh, and so on will slow down and obviously need to rebound. So here's the author of the piece earlier saying, I don't think it's a big deal, who authored a piece saying Sean Hannity made it seem like not a big deal who killed a man. So how's that for... <laughs> I think he's just saying Sean Hannity is more powerful than I am. So. I, I like that too. Uh, Rodney, I don't know if you saw this and this, this comes from vice. It says racist plaques depicting Winnie the Pooh holding a bat with chopsticks have begun to pop up around Atlanta and peace and police have no leads as to who is responsible. <laughs> have you heard of this? And two, I, I why is this, this a job for informed the American? So. Oh, you, Oh, you wrote about this? Yes. Oh, great. Well, all right. So what's your take? Uh, first of all, it, what do you make of these plaques and whoever's doing this? And this, it should just be the job for the police to investigate. Well, I mean, you're putting something on buildings that, you know, aren't supposed to be there. You're not, yeah. you're not allowed to go put a poster of anything you want on an office building in downtown Atlanta or Houston or whatever. And so in that case, yeah, you shouldn't be doing this. Uh, it depicts Winnie the Pooh eating a bat with chopsticks, implying <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, of course, is um, a reference to the Chinese leader Xi Jinping. Yeah. Um, because the thought is he looks something like Winnie the Pooh, which he kind of does. He really does. Chinese <laughs> censors do not allow any posting of Winnie the Pooh in China. It's just no. it's not allowed. Um, and so because it's, they see it as kind of derogative. <laughs> it that, is. I thought the, um, uh, I thought the, 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 the comment by one of the business leaders who, you know, was involved with this, you know, that it's a racist thing is horrible. It's like, well, I don't know how it's racist other than calling out a, a nationality slash race because the virus started in Wuhan, China. I mean, nobody's disputing that. And here we are saying China disputes it. Well, they say it came from the US American service members. Um, and, and the, the general premise is that it transferred from a bat that was either sold in a wet market for consumption in Wuhan or was being used for research in a facility near Wuhan. Either way, it's a bat. Yeah. And so to say it's a bat and this is about China kind of looks like it. As I wrote, if anybody should feel slighted, it's Winnie the Pooh, right? I mean, why is he being thrown <laughs> yeah. in the mix? So. That poor guy is being subjected. He never ate a bat. He ate honey, for goodness sake. I know. <laughs> yeah. It just seems like the last thing, uh, maybe not the last thing, but on the, on the list of things I don't want to eat, this one is definitely. <laughs> what I want to know is who, I mean, this is the pandemic, you know, writ large or rather writ small. 
when you're stuck at home and you got nothing else to do and you say, hey, I got an idea, let's cast a bronze relief of Winnie the Pooh eating a bat with chopsticks and then go glue it on buildings downtown. You've really got some time on your hands to go through the, with such a plan. Well, this is all that boredom we've been hearing about and some people trying to trying to do something and yep. <laughs> get, keep themselves busy. Now, do you think the police should be focusing their attention on catching these perpetrators? If I don't... Uh, uh, they might not have much else to do during the lockdown, so what the heck. I just can't believe that there's not a camera outside of a business somewhere that didn't pick this up. Yeah. Uh, Ronnie, anything, any other stupid things you've seen out there on the internet or in the news you want to, well, you want to hit on before we get out of here? I do like one thing that I wrote about an informed American as a lawyer in Florida who is going to protest the <laughs> reopening of beaches, dressing as the Grim Reaper and visiting <laughs> beaches. Because having grown up on the beaches in Florida, yeah. uh, personally, and having lived there for years before moving back to Texas, and you're actually quite close now. I am. I know that May is the hottest month in Florida because the rains haven't started yet. Brutal. So this guy, <laughs> I hope he brings plenty of water because <laughs> if you're wearing a long black robe walking down the beach. You're going to be pretty hot. And so, uh, yeah, I thought it was a silly thing. Kind of fun, though. He had a great graphic of his tweet of a Grim Reaper in the lifeguard chair. Yeah. He's, he's going to meet the very man he's portraying if he's not careful. Exactly. Yeah, you may meet the angel of death. <laughs> Absolutely hilarious. Yeah, that's wow. That's just funny. I don't know. But best of luck to you. Uh, <laughs> Rodney, thank you so much for joining me this week. And thank you all for watching. Now, you can become an informed American by, one, subscribing to this channel, create a conversation, comment down below, tell us what you think. Also, go to informedamerican.com. We'd love you to check out all those, all those great, uh, real, real smart news stories that we're putting up every single day. Rodney's editing, curating that, that content. Rodney sees everything that's going on in the news. I'll call him up and go, Rodney, did you see X, Y, Z? Oh, yeah, I already wrote about that. It's on, it's on Informed American. Well, just, just go there. Don't call me. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> all, the, uh, all the real important stuff you can find at informedamerican.com. And I would love it if you've enjoyed this content to hit the like button. If you're listening to us on a podcast platform, we'd love it if you'd also give us a, a, reviewing, a, re a review and a rating on iTunes.com. Ronnie, anything, what do you have your eye on maybe over the weekend uh, or early part of next week that people might find on informedamerican.com? Well, next Monday, of course, I'm sorry, next Friday is May 1st. And so a lot of states have said they're going to reopen at least partially that day. And so it's going to be a big conversation next week about what that reopening looks like and the rules that different states set. And so I'm definitely watching that. I'm watching other countries that are reopening. I'm watching Sweden that didn't do the lockdown. Their death rate is running higher. There's no question. But they knew that. They said, look, this is what's going to happen as we build that herd immunity. And so I'm watching them to see if they pass this peak a little bit faster and are able to essentially reopen very quickly beyond other countries that are trying to do it in this very controlled way. Uh, unemployment, we won't get until the next Friday. Normally, it's the first Friday of the month, but when it falls on a first, typically the BLS will push it out to the next Friday for whatever their statistical reason. And so that won't be until May 8th. Excellent. Well, we will be here next Friday to cover everything that happens in the, in the time in between. For Rodney Johnson, I'm Dave Volkenquist telling you, get informed, America. You've been listening to Get Informed, America, brought to you by the Informed American Radio Network. Please like and subscribe today in order to get new exclusive weekly episodes. Any questions, thoughts, or comments can be sent directly to info at informedamerican.com. And don't forget to visit informedamerican.com to keep up with real smart 
news. Until next time, fight fake news and find common ground.